Hello and welcome to episode 81 of The Brand Lab, the place for unfiltered conversations on big topics for small businesses. I'm Tammy Heels, founder of Shadowcat Creative, where I'm a personal brand and marketing consultant, and I show independent businesses how to define and grow their brand and business. And today I'm joined by Georgia Kay, who is a website designer and content strategist for Modern Entrepreneurs. Thank you so much for joining me today, Georgia. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. As soon as I saw the cats on your website, <laughs> I knew we are we are aligned. <laughs> the power of branding, guys. <laughs> Another animal lover right there. Yeah, absolutely. Georgia owns, we were just discussing this, Georgia owns a fleet of Pomeranians, so... <laughs> A fleet. I am the captain of the ship. <laughs> so today, listeners, Georgia and I are going to be diving into how to talk about your services. So as business owners, we know what we do for the most part and we know what we offer. But when it comes to talking about those offers to the world, sometimes it can fall a bit flat or we can get in our own way or simply we just can't seem to find the right words to articulate, like really communicate just how valuable and transformational our work can be. So today, Georgia, let's dig into this because I think it's a really really important conversation to have for any business at any stage. But let's start off with kind of exploring why it's so important to be able to talk about our services with confidence. Yeah, I mean, number one, if you can't talk about your services, you may have some trouble selling those services. I'd say that's like the most obvious thing here. But another thing too, is just in general with confidence, I went full time in my business last year, almost nearly a year ago, right before the pandemic hit. And I felt really confident in my services but actually explaining them to other people, there was a little bit of a disconnect, whether it was a potential client or whether it was just family, honestly, that's always a little scary when you go full-time self-employed and they're like, oh my gosh, that's so exciting. What are you doing? And you're just like, um, let me get back to you on that because it just feels a little awkward at times. So figuring out how to speak not only to your ideal client in a way that makes sense to them and also makes sense for them to invest, but in general to other people. So you can be proud about, you know, 50, 75% of your life because as entrepreneurs, we do tend to work quite a bit and that's pretty important. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think that one of the things that I came across when I was starting out was exactly like you were saying, it was finding the words to be able to tell the people that I, I could speak to clients a lot easier than I could speak to my family or my friends. And it was just kind of like, so what are you doing? And you're like, um, so I'm kind of just doing this. And I think that we have a tendency, especially especially as women, especially as starting out, and especially as a handful of other sweeping generalizations, that you kind of crumble under the pressure of trying to almost justify yourself and what you're doing and your choices in a sentence. And it can feel really, really difficult. And then the worst thing that you can do is take that fear and that uncertainty and that doubt and then translate that into the way that you talk to your clients because they're not going to become your clients. If If you all sat there doubting yourself, then they're going to really have a hard time with one, understanding what it is that you do, how you can help them. And then two, like, well, you don't seem to carry that confidence that I feel like I need when I'm looking to give someone my money, like make it safe for me to buy from you. Exactly. I think too, some little, little sprinkles of imposter syndrome come into play, which was something that I had always heard about on social media, honestly, is where I heard about it. And I was like, that's so dumb. That's so dumb. And then it happened to me. And I was like, oh, like, this is legit. Like, this is not so dumb. 
and, and trying to get around that mentality of where I went from a really nice cushy corporate job that was still a tremendous amount of work where I felt very confident in asking for a pay raise, asking for what I felt I deserved, moving into being self-employed. And it does feel it's a different dynamic. It just feels differently. And when you start talking to people about it, it's no longer like, oh, my boss did this, or I'm frustrated by this, or I'm hoping that we get this project wrapped up. Everything falls on you. And I think the weight of that responsibility just really changes things. And until you've actually experienced it for yourself, it's really hard to put that into words. But yeah, with services, especially I would say the first month and of people asking me like, oh, so you quit. What are you doing now? I would just say, oh, I'm a web designer. And for me, it's actually a lot bigger than that. I'm not just going in and kind of putting together some graphics. There's a lot of strategy that goes into that. There's a lot of sales conversations that goes into that marketing, digital, like digital marketing, copywriting. Uh, so wrapping that all up into I'm a web designer was so unfair to myself at the time and probably also very confusing to people who were like, this girl just left her job and is a web designer. Okay, cool. <laughs> I mean, there's a disconnect there for sure. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And that kind of mirrors exactly how I felt when, because I didn't quit my job straight away. I was running the business alongside my full-time job, but they'd be like, so what do you do in your business? And I'm like, oh, I'm a graphic designer. Like I offer graphic design services, but that wasn't what I was doing. I was doing strategic planning and brand identity work and digging into visual identities and strategies and marketing and everything else. And I'm like, yeah, I'm a graphic designer. Like I wasn't even that in my day job. I was like a senior designer in my day job. And I was just like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just a graphic designer outside of work. And that's not how I felt. Like I knew the power of what I was doing and I knew how transformational my services could be, but because I was trying to I think some of it was the imposter and some of it was that whole, I want to tell everyone everything that they get in this service. Yeah, that's true because you have to know your audience and like someone like my mom, for instance, she would totally sit there and listen to everything I had to say. Would she be very fascinated by it? Probably not. It would be a little <laughs> too in the weeds, but she would support me. But then when it comes to, you know, my boyfriend's family or our friends, they're not necessarily interested in all of the inner workings of my business. And so trying to tread that fine line of wanting to just blabber about absolutely everything to also wanting to show up as professional and be a legitimate business. I think that's a big thing too, for solopreneurs where you feel like if it's just you, you're not the same as a Nike or a, like, uh, why did I just forget every big company in the world or a Starbucks? Yes. And you may not be as big as them, but you're still running a business that's still paying your bills. And it's still a lot of work. And finally acknowledging that within myself, I think also was a big transformation for how I ran my business because I started showing up a little bit more seriously, a little bit more professionally than maybe I was before, because it just kind of hit me. If I'm not taking this serious why would anyone else kind of like what you said earlier with the self-doubt, if you're doubting yourself, you're not going to sell anything. People can smell your fear <laughs> like, and you want to show up confident and have people invest in you and work with you and trust you to help bring their business to the growth that they're wanting to experience. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I think there's two things in there that I love. One is like, it's what I call passing the ick. It's like, if something feels icky to you, like your business card and you're just like, oh, don't look at my website. My website's still under work. Don't look at it. And it's like, well, you're already telling them that you're not happy with what you're putting forward. So that's not going to instill confidence in them, particularly if you're trying to chase like the higher ticket offers or 
even if you're in the early stages, because if they turn around and say no, that's just going to feed that feeling of, oh, so my website's terrible, which is why they said no. But actually, it was probably because you told them your website was yeah. terrible to preempt that kind of your self-sabotaging. Yeah, it was self-sabotage. That's the perfect term for it. Yep. Yeah, it's a real bugger. <laughs> it really is. Bugger. <laughs> Um, it's one of those things that happens, but it's one of, it's so, so common. And what you were saying there about showing up, like we're not the big businesses of like Nike and, or Nike, however you say it, Starbucks and Costa and any other coffee brand that I can think of at the moment and Apple. We are individual business owners at the moment, but so were they. Exactly. Like they were small businesses once. And if they had always set with that, oh, it's just me. It's just a small business. I'm just doing this on the side. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just. Would they ever get to the point where they are these big global brands that we know? Like this is our opportunity to literally change the future of business with the businesses we're creating. Exactly. I actually had a really interesting conversation. Like my very first year in corporate, I was green. I was fresh faced. I had all the ideas in the world. And I remember I got the opportunity to present kind of a big project that I had came up with to an executive board. And I was so freaking nervous. And another woman that I worked with who had been there for quite a while, I was in a weird, well, not a weird environment. This unfortunately is kind of common, but I was in a very male dominated industry and I was one of maybe three women in the entire building. So she came to me and she's like, Hey, like those people in there started off exactly where you are. They get up every single day and have their breakfast and put their clothes on and drive to work. She's like, the only difference is that they have a different job title. Like that's, and maybe some more, well, not maybe, they definitely have a lot more responsibilities that are going on, maybe more pressures tied to their job. And she was like, you just have to think outside of that and look at it just as another individual that's been where you are before. It's all in your head. Like everything that you're self-sabotaging is in your head. And so I think that perspective as well is carried over into a lot of things where I have to just reposition it and be like, okay, Georgia, like you have quite literally made up this scenario in your head. It did not happen. So let's kick that out of here and just move full steam ahead and, you know, seal the deal on these, these things you're trying to do for your business. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the phrases that I was said to me in a similar situation where I was doing a presentation and I was feeling really nervous because it was to the directors of the company and you're like, directors, whereas now (laughs) we're directors, just saying. Um, And it's just kind of, you do get that nerve and you do feel like it's a personal reflection on you, particularly, I think that you'll probably relate to this being in a creative background, being in a creative industry, like the energy, and I'm I'm sure it holds true for every industry, but I can only kind of talk from a creative standpoint, where you feel like you put your heart and your soul into everything because it's something you're so passionate about and you want them to realize how good this idea is because you know that it's golden, but then you kind of crumble because you're like, oh, I forgot to say something or what if I don't say this and the best bit of advice I ever received was that they only know what you tell them like they don't know what you forgot to say they don't know what you missed out they only know what you tell them so whatever you say say it with confidence and when it comes to talking about your services as a business owner if you realize that you were pitching to a potential client and forgot something that was super key in your service send it as a follow-up email going oh, hey, I thought that I'd also let you know that this is going to be a part of the service as well, you know, just for you throwing it in, or this is something that I like to include as well. So keep that in mind when you're making your decision. Like, don't 
follow it up with an apology and saying oh god I forgot to tell you this I'm so sorry like do it as like a Brucey bonus it's like hey we also offer this how cool's that I love that that's something too I feel like that's when you transform into the initial consultation call and now you really know what you're doing is when you can take a situation like that and completely flip it around and turn it into something that's exciting for the client or it looks like you're going above and beyond. That was actually a huge mistake I made early on in consultation calls where I would promise the whole world because I was just trying to like seal the deal. And what I found is actually just let the work speak for itself, obviously show the value you provide, but a lot of those tiny little things that we think are so, so important can actually be really overwhelming to a client. And it's better to sort of sprinkle that in along the process to keep them engaged, to keep them excited along the way. And they feel really, really taken care of. Um, yeah. Blabber mouthing was such a thing for me early on. <laughs> really, really a bad thing. I did it online as well. Cause my first website was literally, it was like a wall of here is literally everything I've ever done that I can offer that I know I can design for when actually all they need to know is I'm a good designer. I'm, they'd be in safe hands with me. I'm competent. I, you know, whatever else they need the basics at first. They don't need to know that you're going to deliver individual files and what formats and everything else and the color profiles and how, how much knowledge you have. You don't even know what that truly means. Yeah. I mean, at this point for websites, I just say, Hey, it's going to look great on your cell phone going into the details of mobile optimization they don't really care. Some do, but sometimes it's just the fact that you're doing the job correctly and they trust you to to do the job correctly, regardless of what that each little detail looks like. Because some people don't want to be micromanaged with all the details. But that's really key. It's like they're hiring you for your expertise. You're not convincing them to buy from you like it's a favor. Like Mm -hmm. they're hiring you because they need your expertise. So you don't need to justify what your services are or what your expertise is because that's why they're there. If you're the right fit, then of course you're going to work together. And if they turn around and say, you know what, you're not the right fit for my company, that's okay. Like that's not a reflection on your services. It's not a reflection on you. And to be honest, if you have to convince someone to work with you. Such a red flag. That's just, that's trouble. I've been there. I've done that. I have many (laughs) t-shirts. I think we all have a nice little stack of clients that we should have said no to. But we fell for the, oh, this is going to look really good in my portfolio or, oh, they're going to share this on social media and I'll get exposure. And (laughs) it never happens. Like if you feel like you should say no, you should definitely say no. Obviously, keeping in mind, some people need to put food on the table. Sometimes saying no isn't always the absolute best option. But if you're able to just say no, if it's a red flag, it's a red flag for a reason. And it will only get exponentially worse. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, I would also say that if you do take a red flag and you're like, you know what, I, I, I need this. I want this. I want to take this project, even though this isn't kind of ideal. Anything like that, just expectations and boundaries up front. Yes. Along with a deposit. <laughs> Along with the, yeah, so true. Deposit contract (laughs) boundaries, like that should help you manage the process, even if it isn't going to be a client that you're like, I'm over the moon to work with you. You're just kind of like, eh, this will be a good project for my portfolio. We'll, We'll make it through, but they won't be like that forever. It won't. And I think one of the things when it comes to talking about services that we've kind of touched on is when you're talking about your services, I think it's so important to talk about it from, like you were saying, how does your customer need to hear it? 
Like they don't need to hear the technical side. They don't need to hear kind of the ins and outs. It's the so what factor. It's like, oh, I can make your website so it's um, suitable for mobiles. It's like, well, so what? What does that mean for me? How does that help me? Yeah, exactly. I think the biggest thing too with price, what I've found is leading with price is never a good idea within my business model, at least. Obviously, in other ones, it makes sense. But for me personally, value is what I tried to lead with and the actual conversion. What's the ultimate goal of their website? If it's e-commerce, they're trying to sell something. If it's service-based, they're still trying to sell something. Really, it comes down to what are you trying to sell? I very rarely had anyone who just had a passion project where they were maybe just blogging for funsies. There's always some type of sales uh, element related to that. And that boils down to ROI. So what's the return on the investment they're making in my services? I always try and approach calls from that perspective now if I'm able to. So pre-qualifying questions I'm asking, hey, you know, what's the goal of your website? Talk me through this. How many products are you trying to sell? How many services are you trying to sell? And from that standpoint, you can then position the conversation with your services and really show them numbers of how that looks for them. So if they're trying to sell a service that's $2,000, your website's 5,000, they only need to sell two of those to make that return back. Could they maybe do it without a website? Possibly, maybe they've been successful, but you can really, really increase that number for them and make it worth their while. And that's what I found to be the most helpful because I used to start sales calls off with, okay, what's your budget? Worst thing you can do. Like if I could go back to 2020, very early Georgia and just smack her, I totally would because there's just things that are so blatantly, obviously wrong. But I think it does take experience and time to get there and also feel really confident selling something that is high ticket because obviously there are web designers out there charging maybe 300 for a full website. That's not the type of audience that I'm going after. I'm looking more for the quality and the long-term effects of the website and all of that. So knowing the audience you're speaking to and also feeling good about your services and that you can actually provide a return, that's a huge one too. If you know for a fact you haven't gotten results for your clients, that's something internally you got to work on before you keep selling it like selling a broken solution to people because it's the worst thing you can do. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're 100% right there as well on the fact that it's knowing who you're talking to, but also knowing who you are in your business as well. It's like, well, who do you, who do you want to work with? It's not about like what clients are you attracting? Because if you're attracting people that you don't want to work with and your red flags and everything else, then it's either going to be the way that you're talking about your services. Right. Or it's going to be kind of where you're talking about your services, I think can make a difference as well. Like I noticed my pricing is out there wherever they need to see it. It's just kind of on my website. It's totally fine. I don't mind that. It works for me, but I've gone through that process too from what's your budget? Oh, I only charge this amount. And yeah, so it's a whole thing. Don't feel bad if pricing is another issue. We'll talk about that another day, guys. Don't worry. If someone lands on my website and they look at my pricing and they go, whoa, not for me, that's cool. Like, that's fine. I'm not going to sit here. Yeah, you're not for everyone. And I think that was something too, where when you start out, you'll just take any project that comes your way. Like no standards over here. Like this is going to pay a bill. Let's do it. And as you grow, or if you're fortunate enough to not start in that place where you've got a little bit more firm footing, you can be a little bit more picky about the clients you choose, because I think what you put out there is also you're going to attract something very similar to that. I mean, this is branding 101. 
who do you want to attract? If I'm wanting to work with clients that are a little bit more in the luxury space, for instance, I'm probably not going to put up some of my websites that were very clearly like DIY mom and pop shops type of deal. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that's not the type of client I'm trying to attract at the moment. But I do think there is a place for everyone. You know, you do have the people that are looking to be more affordable for the everyday person. You have people that are targeting mid-level. You have the highest tier. I mean, there's a reason that there is the little, I just forgot the name of the, what's that really tiny hotel chain that's like everywhere. Motel six. Is that the name or is that a gas station? We'll, we'll go with. Yeah. Because I don't, <laughs> I'm going to listen back to this and be like, wow, you were really off base with that one. But you know, there's different hotel chains. You have like the Ritz Carlton. Sure. Like we've got like the premier in and like travel lodge and yeah. Yeah, exactly. They all exist. They're all doing, I, I'm guessing well, since they're still open, but there really is a place for everyone in the market. So you just have to be really confident in where you are and also allow yourself to pivot because I definitely do not serve the same clients from last year as I do now. Yeah, absolutely. And exactly what you were saying there is like, there's room for everyone, but the difference is you, you're going to be the different, you're the differentiating factor. You're, you're the difference in the positioning and you can really control that with the words that you're choosing to use, the way that you name your services, like you can name your services something fun and gimmicky and pun and all the rest of that, if that's the vibe that you're going for. Or you can go for something that's like, there's a lot of female empowering coaches that tend to use a lot of the similar kind of words. And it's like that, the powerful alliteration, love a bit of alliteration, like success schools and things like this, like whatever works for you and your clients, like even the way that you name your services can communicate what makes you unique within your business and that personality side. I think that that's kind of a lot around the common struggles that I think Most people seem to experience when it comes to talking about their services. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I've come across from when I've been doing it. But um, the only other one I can think about is maybe having too many services. Oh, wait, I'm glad you said that because (laughs) that's so true. Let's just go through the list of all the mistakes I made, Tammy. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think it's just you. I think it's like us as business owners as a collective, like this is a shared learning curve. (laughs) I learned this from someone else and I'm sure that you learned this from someone else too. Absolutely. It's just a rite of passage. That's actually a really good point though, because I will say there's a tendency within some entrepreneurs I've seen where there's no acknowledgement of ever having struggled with something. And it's a little off-putting. Like I do wish some people were a little bit more forthcoming with, hey, when I started out, I struggled with this, or I had this issue with client onboarding or pricing. And it just comes across kind of weird to me as an entrepreneur because I've been so fortunate to chat with people like you and with other people within my industry and even outside of my industry. And there's this common feeling of when you're an entrepreneur, knowing other entrepreneurs who have struggled in a similar fashion is really powerful. And I just, I just hate when I sometimes see people just blatantly never acknowledging that, like they're perfect from the start. They've never made a mistake. They're the go-to expert yada, yada, yada. I really personally enjoy seeing how somebody started and how they got to where they are because I can more relate to that. Um, cause I did not start off perfect at all, but that's my, that's my little rant for the day, Tammy. <laughs> that is fine. I'm here for it. I completely agree though. And I think the ones that do come across where they're like, do you know what? Everything was perfect from the start. Those will be the ones where they're on their like 
21st business or something and it hasn't been perfect from the start it's just been better from the start of this business yep exactly exactly or they had more opportunities this is a whole nother conversation we can go into Um, but going back to all of the services when I started working within my business I started out freelancing side hustling that whole whole game there I would do anything that was within the realm of graphic design, web design, copywriting, social media strategy. Like I'm getting overwhelmed just saying all of this because that's what I did in corporate was I was the kind of the catch-all content strategist. So I really did work within all of those areas, which has been very beneficial. But from a freelancing standpoint, I had no process because everything was different. So when I went full-time, the number one thing I focused on was creating a process. How is a client getting in contact with me? How am I positioning my services? And what's the actual process of onboarding them, managing the project, and offboarding them? Those areas were really tough because they don't really teach you that in in corporate. And it's not always taught in school. I was not a graphic design major or really anything design related. I was communication. So I understood how to do a school project. Thankfully, I was able to do a lot of internships and get experience in that way. But there's nothing quite like having a one-on-one client for the first time as a business owner. Going through that process, you will learn so much. And yeah, I had so many services and I narrowed it down to just one. Actually, last year is just web design. And then eventually I launched the designer day too. And I still, to this day, only have two services. And I probably won't change that anytime soon because it works. And I'm able to be an expert and continue learning within that area as well, because I'm not doing all of the things and wearing all of the hats. Well, as a business owner, you are, but within my services, at least I'm not. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think that I think that there's a lot of misconceptions around it because there's a lot of talk around like niching and how you have to niche in order to be able to provide an accurate service and everything. I believe that there is power to having focus, but I think that it's kind of down to the individual. I'm a fan believer that your niche will kind of find you when it comes to your clients because it will be. Again, it's how you talk about your services you change and tailor that when you feel more comfortable with your identity within your brand and then you attract the people that you want from there they kind of niche for you but when it comes to the services when you're like well when I started out as like graphic design logo design brand design strategy I'll do social media design that's fine print design digital websites oh my goodness like you said if you have to pause at any moment and go what else do I do it's too much (laughs) Oh, that's true. Yeah. If you have to take a breath while you're talking about it, it's yeah. too much. <laughs> it's just too much. And um, it's overwhelming for you. It's overwhelming for your clients. It's difficult for them to remember everything that you do, but it doesn't mean you can't offer those services later. Like if you work with a client and they're like, oh, actually, I don't think I do need a logo design, but I do need some help with my socials. You can absolutely turn around and go, well, yeah, I can help you with that. But you don't have to start with that. <laughs> I think too, the difference between starting out as more of the solopreneur versus growing a team is a big thing as well, because I kind of expect someone with a team to have a little bit more varied services because they have more support happening. But as a solopreneur, you're doing absolutely everything. So it comes down to how stressed do you really want to be in an already stressful environment starting out because you're putting in all those hours. And I would say that condensing down my services like that was a huge stress reliever because I could focus just on that and become really, really good on consultation calls and speaking to it and talking about what I did because it was all I did. Um, At some point in the future, maybe I'll add something, 
but it would be something I'd also want to feel confident in being able to continue learning. Cause I think some people also make the mistake of they've learned just enough about a topic or they had experience it in experience in it themselves, but then they don't continue learning about it. They view themselves as the ultimate expert. And that's just not true. There's always someone out there that knows something you don't know. And it's really unfair to your clients to not invest in your own, you know, your own education, your own business, if you're expecting them to invest in you as well. Yeah, absolutely. I had something in a business book and I can't remember which one it was. Sorry. Um, If I remember, I'll put it in the show notes. I won't remember. Um, and she was saying that it's not about being a guru or being the like the, the ultimate knowledge in any subject. It's about being a contributor so that those conversations can continue. And I really liked that approach because you can contribute your opinion, your expertise, and everything that you've learned in your approach, but it doesn't mean that you, you know, you don't have to run that conversation. You can make that conversation an actual conversation rather than you just kind of standing there and preaching. And I thought that that was a really healthy way of looking at it. Yeah, I love that. I I think the best experts and authorities are the ones who are grounded and humble enough, honestly, to know that they don't know everything and there's always something more to learn. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that when it comes to bringing it back around to services and stuff, I think that that's something that we've both talked about how we've explored that because we both started out offering services that either we weren't keen on or too many and now niching down so I'm similar to you I I cut down to one offer which I know works really well for some people but it just didn't quite work it didn't feel right for me so I added in a second offer which felt really comfortable it's like a smaller bite-sized chunk of my bigger offer and now I actually do have a third offer but it's only for the clients that I've already worked with Wow. And that's another way that you can do it. You can build your services however you want. Yeah, there's stuff I offer exclusively to clients I've worked with before because with web design, if I'm doing a website redesign, for instance, another designer went in there or maybe they DIY'd it themselves. I have no idea what the code's going to look like. I might not necessarily know if they're on a platform, if they actually built it correctly into standards. So going in from a fresh perspective versus something that I created myself and I'm very knowledgeable within is very different. And I think th- this is like very specific to design. I'm sure applies to other areas as well, but having services that you only offer to prior clients is something I think within design that works really, really well. Yeah. I love that you said that because that's something I took a few months to figure out where I had clients coming back for return work. And I just really wasn't sure how to go about that because I didn't want to book them on the same exact project they had already invested in. Like they, their need wasn't there. And that was actually part of the reason I started doing these designer days where they book me for a day because it's kind of a catch-all for those projects that need some more help but don't need a full project. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And for me, I started off with, because I was doing brand design and strategy and decided to focus much more on the strategic side because that's where... I can excel and like that's where my my zone of genius or whatever you want to call it is but I still love brand design and I'm still a good brand designer but knowing that I've gone through that strategic process with a client I know that I can deliver like a amazing brand because we've done that strategy whereas someone who's just coming to me going no I just need a logo I'm like well I don't know you I don't know your business I don't know your goals your dreams like I don't know if you even have established your values I don't know anything about you so creating an identity for you is going to be really really difficult and it's almost like you need to work out not only the value that you're going to bring from a how is this going to transform them but you also do need to consider 
the impact it's going to have on you. Do you need to treat them different, not treat them differently, but do you need to work with them in a different way to be able to deliver the same level as someone who you've already worked with? Mm -hmm. I honestly am still figuring this one out. I have reworked it several times. I think communication is really key as well, because if you have a close relationship with clients you've worked with previously, I've found it's really helpful to just straight up ask them, hey, what do you envision this looking like? I've gotten great ideas from clients on things I never would have considered because I'm not in their shoes, certain things with the process or even communication wise, that has been really helpful. And it may be a really tiny change, but getting that feedback is crucial. I'd say that's actually another thing that people sometimes fail to do in their businesses is asking for feedback because they're afraid of something negative. The negatives are so helpful. Honestly, if somebody gives you all positive feedback, that's great. Obviously we strive for that, but having negative feedback is such a learning experience. And I can say the few, the few negative feedbacks I've had. The one of like two. <laughs> you guys, um, has been really helpful because it's something I can go into my process completely change. And it also makes them even more of a return client because they know you listen to them. You're not just ignoring them and taking their money and going off and doing your own thing. You're actually valuing their experience as a client and showing that you really do want to make it the best experience possible. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it reflects back to what we were saying earlier on about like self-sabotage and self-doubt. It's like, if you're already anticipating that you're not going to ask a client for feedback because it's going to be negative, like, you know, that some shit went wrong. That's bad. (laughs) If you're too afraid to find out because you worry that they are going to say something bad, then that's just as telling but with less direction because you don't know what to fix. You don't know specifically what it is that you could then implement and change for next time because, I mean, we need to remember that our businesses, as far as we're concerned for the majority of us, are a long-term thing. It's not just like, oh, after this client, I get two more and then that's it, I'm done. Like, I'm done with this hobby. No, no, no. (laughs) Definitely not. So every bit of feedback that you get, and then in a year's time after you've implemented that feedback, you may find that the thing that you've implemented is the thing that people are raving about. Like, oh my goodness, no one's ever thought about this when I've worked with others before. And I'm so grateful that you were able to have this in place already. But you're only going to get there if you get the shit first. Exactly. Yep. So yeah, definitely keeping in mind that your services don't just end with when you're talking about them. (laughs) I think going through from start to finish, you have to think about the onboarding to the offboarding. And that was a little bit of struggle for me as well, where I was really thinking about the project. Like what's the project that final wrap up and how you leave a client is just as important. So putting together some type of strategy, whether it's a training video for brands, like having a brand guideline and how to use your brand appropriately, maybe setting them up within Canva, which is a whole whole nother topic if they're using that or creating brand assets and also letting them know how to follow up with you if they do need something else. That was basically money I was leaving on the table because I didn't have that in place for the first few months. And I'd have people reach back out and be like, hey, like, is it okay to ask you this? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. But I wasn't communicating that. So being really clear start to finish and how a client can interact with you even beyond a project has wrapped up and maybe putting something in place for them to send other projects your way. A referral program is something that I was super torn on at first because You don't want to give away money that you're working for. But at the same time, if you have a client that is ride or die for you, they are sending so many projects your way. You want them to feel appreciated and you want to acknowledge, hey, like 
you have saved me a lot of time that I'm not actively going after these clients. I want to thank you for that, whether it's project credit, whether it's a gift card, whether it's monetary or maybe even non-monetary, having that in place too. There's just so many parts of the client experience that you really have to experience for yourself to put in place. And there's going to be so much trial and error. It will not be perfect the first time. No, it won't be. And this is why I think it's so important to have these conversations with other people, particularly whether they're in your industry or not. But honestly, having conversations with other business owners has allowed me to hear both their the wonderful things that they're doing and the things that they're learning from. You can preempt mistakes that you're going to make, that you will make, because we all make mistakes. We've already established this, that we will make mistakes as we go. So one of the things that I heard that someone else did that I said to them is like, I'm going to steal that and put that in mind. And she's like, go for it. <laughs> she always booked in a three month follow up as soon as the client project wrapped up. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So I book in, <laughs> I did one better. Um, I book in a three month. <laughs> six months now just so it's like right okay so I know in my calendar that after three months I'm going to send them an email check in see how they're doing make sure everything's still working for them because one I want to make sure that my clients are being set up for success long after that they've gone through that service process and two I want to make sure that I'm still having that conversation and still holding that relationship with that client because like you were saying like return clients less marketing spend, less time having to convince nice. them. They're great. <laughs> Better testimonials. Like there's so many benefits to looking after your clients. And also, you know, I mean, I don't know if this is true for you and I'd be really curious to know a lot of my clients are now my friends. Like they're my business friends. <laughs> it's kind of weird because at first I was like, that's inappropriate. Like, I'm not going to be friends with them. This is business. But honestly, my best clients have been the ones that I can be more conversational with. It's a fine line because you still want to show up as a professional. You still want to kind of nip anything in the bud about favors that you're not getting paid for. I would say that's the biggest gray area for me are those little DMs or the emails that are like, hey, can you take care of this really quickly? Or, hey, can you do this as a favor? Nipping that in the bud as soon as it happens is really important if you want to maintain that that friendship element of it. I will say during the project, though, I really try and keep it as professional as possible yeah. while still being really approachable because I don't want to come across as like a cold, hard agency. That's not my vibe at all. Uh, but yeah, there, there's a gray area there for sure. And I think that also happens with friends and family. (laughs) That's probably something we should chat about as well. The friends and family that want to support your business by not paying for anything. Those are my favorite. (laughs) I've been quite fortunate. I mean, I've got, I've got a couple of friends where we do a lot of exchanges, I guess, to the point now where it's just kind of, it's just kind of a given with at least one of them. It's just like, Hey dude, can you help me with this? It's like, yeah, that's fine. If you can help me with this, we don't even draw up anything. There's no contracts, anything like that, but it can, it is those boundaries and those expectations, um, whether it's friends and family, whether it's a client who becomes a friend, whether it's a client who is just pushing their luck, like whatever it is. (laughs) work out what you're comfortable with and make sure that you're putting those in place and make that part of the service just like hey you have full access to ask me any questions by this method of communication yeah I do it it's like you have full access to me Monday to Friday through Voxer on these days with this service but it's like it will be through that service. Yeah. And if I get a DM from them, it's like, hey, dude, this is a social chat. It's cool. I know. I know where I stand. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that's tricky too, is figuring out how to best enforce those boundaries. Something I actually did 
early on when I noticed I had a client who had been a prior professional, like what's the best way of saying that? Like colleague, we had worked at a separate business together. So he had my personal cell phone number and he kept texting me or like calling me in the middle of the day after we had started a project. And every time it would happen, I would email him back and be like, Hey, I saw your text. Let's keep this within the email. After the second time he stopped. And I think just finding a way to reinforce that while also not being rude, because there's a difference between having a boundary and enforcing it and just being straight up rude. I could have been like, hey, stop texting me. What the hell? (laughs) Obviously, I'm not going to do that. Even if it is a friend and you feel that level of comfort, still don't do it. Still treat it professionally. But I don't give out my personal cell phone anymore (laughs) for anyone. Uh, Literally no one, not even friends. No, I don't even know why I have it anymore. (laughs) Not even work related, not work related, at least just because if I'm saying email, you have no reason to have my personal cell phone number if everything's going to be via email or WhatsApp or Voxer or whatever method of communication you're using. But yeah, enforcing boundaries, that, that was a sticky area for sure. And it sometimes is still sticky. I would say the one thing I did when I started my business that was really helpful was I did get actual contracts made by a lawyer uh, and had actual clauses in there that I had heard from other designers at the time ended up being really important. So a project restart fee, late fees for stuff, um, having a clause in there for hostile work environment, which thankfully I've only had to use once, (laughs) uh, but having clauses in there even related to COVID um, and having that set up from the boundary side was really, really important. And then actually having people go through and initial it so that they're very clear on the expectations. And if something happens, you can you can give grace or you can stick to your guns on the contract too. Knowing when to enforce the contract and when to give a little grace, I think is kind of a touchy, touchy subject that's touch and go as you as you work with each client individually as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd absolutely agree with that. And I think that contracts are not there to make you feel like a bitch, which is what I thought when I first started, which was something that now, like you were saying, it's like, I'd like to go back and give Tammy a little bit of a smack around the back of the head for that, because contracts are there to protect you, literally protect your business from a legal standpoint should they decide that, you know what, if you're a limited company or if you're a sole trader in the UK or whatever the other versions are across the world that I'm not <laughs> educated in. Um, but like in the UK, if you're a sole trader and I'm not a lawyer, so don't quote me on this, but I'm fairly certain that if you're a sole trader and someone decides to sue you, they could try and take your house and your assets and things like that. If you're a limited company, they can't because your business is a separate entity and things like that. But your contract stops that from happening. It's there to protect you. But it doesn't mean that you can't turn around and say, hey, look, I'll waive the late late payment fee because, you know, you're a good client or I understand that you've had a family tragedy or, you know, I get that it's too close to the end of the month and it's Christmas or whatever it is that you deem necessary. No one's going to chase you up for not sticking to your contract. (laughs) It just gets sticky because you also don't want to, I feel like when you sometimes give someone an inch, they try and take a mile. And that honestly is just so case by case. There was a client last year who had unfortunately a family relative die because of COVID and they were like, Hey, I need to pause my project. Absolutely. Like no way am I going to enforce my like late start or like delayed project start or anything like that. Because I feel like there's that human side to business where there's all the things on paper that legally I could do, 
but do you want to show up that way as a business owner? And do you want to show up that way to another human being? So walking that fine line while also not getting taken advantage of is something that I think I'll just always be learning the best way of approaching that. Honestly, I don't think it's a, a one and done situation. Yeah, I agree. And I think like when it comes to the way that you're communicating what you do find acceptable or not, if you make that part of your process, I found that that was the way for me that took all of the emotion out of it. Like I didn't have to worry about um, annoying someone by saying, oh, hey, there is a late fee or, oh, hey, your deposit's non-refundable because I actually have to book this into my calendar and return down other yeah. work if I'm taking you on, anything like that. Like it's okay to make that part of your process, make that part of your services. So after you've after you've communicated your service, after someone's bought into it, that's almost like the second level of talking about your services because you've got the, hey, here's the hook and here's the transformation that we're going to do. And then you have the detail of, right, this is exactly how this service works. This is what the expectations are from me to you and you to me. And this is the commitment from me to you and you to me. So it's having those boundaries done in a way that feels like it's just it's just a thing that you do. Because if you talk to someone like it's just part of the process, they're not going to sit there and go, how dare you say I can't text you at eight o'clock on a Saturday morning because it's there as part of the service. That part where you said what feels good for you, and you mentioned that earlier with the services too, there's never going to be another business model that you can just copy and paste into your business. You really do have to figure it out case by case. And I've been in programs with other designers or in like masterminds and someone else's solution you may want to implement it, but you'll always have to implement it in your own way. I mean, on a really a really low level, this comes into like plagiarism or copying people's designs. Like I think being inspired and influenced, that's just in general going to happen in the design industry, but it really comes down to how are you incorporating into your this into your business in an ethical way, in a way that feels good to you and also works for you because there's tons of designers that do things very differently from me, but their process just wouldn't work for me, even if they've been very successful in it. So knowing yourself and the business that you want to run, so important. And it's also going to change over time. Oh, absolutely. Like the differences. And I'd be curious to know how you found it where you've been in business for a year, because I tend to work with clients who are like, I would say kind of between six and 18 months. So they have like six months to find their feet in their business or 12 months, depending, but the amount that it changes in that time. And I remember how much my business changed. It felt like every six weeks or every two or three months, my business just felt completely different all over again. It was just like constantly growing and it's slowing those changes are slowing, but they're still there. Like every six months, I'm like, hey, I kind of want to overhaul this. Or I don't feel like I'm the same business owner that I was six months ago, especially with everything that's happened in the last year. How have you found it? I mean, we'll probably dive into this a little bit more on the next episode. But <laughs> when it comes to your services specifically, let's keep it on topic. How have you found that your services have really developed? And did you find that like a liberating process or more of a challenging one? <laughs> yeah, I would say liberating for me personally, because I went from having just really anything that fell within the bucket of content or digital marketing to just having web design early last year. So I, I quit in March, went full-time in March, and I had just web design. And I was really taking on any project, but I had limited myself down to one platform and that was WordPress. Like that was my one platform I worked in. I would not take on other projects. And what I found when COVID hit is that there was a lot of newer business owners popping up 
and they just needed something quick, but they didn't need a full custom package. Um, and there's this, I think it's a little bit of a debate within the design industry where people say when you're just starting out, you need all the bells and whistles or you're not going to see a return. Like you, you need to invest in absolutely everything. I'm of the mindset where I actually kind of disagree with that. I think there's just proof in that there have been lots of people who are successful starting with a little bit of a DIY hodgepodge. And I wanted to find a solution kind of in the middle of that. So I started this thing where you could book me for an entire day of work. And one of the most popular deliverables was a one page website. And that really took off because of COVID, honestly, because there were so many people that had been furloughed or they had lost their job or they had just decided, hey, we need a second income in this household. How can we get this started really quickly? So that was something where I think if I hadn't been paying attention to the market and also paying attention to my own clients that I had worked with previously who were sending very specific referrals my way, I, I never would have came up with, but it's developed over time. Last year, I charged maybe like $500 for it. It was kind of a mess. Like it was just really all over the place over the past, I mean, pretty much a year as I've been working on it, it's, it's super developed. And I think it's liberating, as you said, because now I have such a, a process in place. I know exactly what I can get done within a day. I have tons of work to show for it. I have tons of testimonials and really the only way you're going to get there is through the work. So I personally have found that working through that has been really helpful. And I think every entrepreneur starts a little bit differently. I know you said you tend to work with people. What was it? The 16 to the. Yeah, kind of like six to 18 months. So it's generally, I don't tend to work with startups for the same reason that you were saying really is like my strengths when it comes to like brand strategy and brand identity, like when you're starting out, you don't know that yet. You don't know who your business is going to be. You don't know who you're going to be in your business. It will change so much that investing in something like a full brand strategy and a full brand identity right when you're kicking off, there's no way that you can see that that's going to be like indicative of the business that you're going to have in six months, let alone in three, four years time. So it's just not as like, it's, yeah, it's just not as relevant, I guess. Like there are some people, if you've run businesses before and you're launching a new business and you know that this is something that helps you step into that space with confidence and absolutely. But if you're a new business owner and you're just interested in being able to articulate what your services are, talk to as many people as you can who are going to be right for your business and learn how to find your feet and develop, have that chance to develop and grow, then yeah, just get started. Like just set your services learn as you go. Like you said, I mean, I, I imagine the conversation when you're pitching your, your designer day now compared to how it was a year ago when you. So different. Yes. So different. And I like what you just said regarding the just get started, because I truly think that's what everyone should do at this point. It's definitely controversial. I, I've heard arguments on both sides of, no, when you're starting, you need a very clear branding and foundation. And I think it has its time and place, but I just know so many people personally that have started with really random DIY pieces and they've built something great and then invest it later on when they had a very clear vision of what they're looking for. I, I think there's merit on both sides, but also as a, as a business owner, owner, I have to be fair to my client or potential client when I'm talking to them. If I'm getting the vibe that they're not ready for this, I'm not going to try to sell them on it. That doesn't serve either of us. It's a project 
first off, I'll have to take it out of my portfolio if it doesn't work out, probably, because I won't be proud of it anymore. And it's not fair to them because they're going to go through this process. They're going to invest this money and they may not be happy if, you know, a year later they have to change it. And I've also done that myself where maybe I invested in a service and then a year later, it's totally different. Like it's not the same. And had I maybe waited a little bit, it would have made more sense. Um, So there's also... I I think in business, there's always going to be at some point an investment you've made that maybe didn't work out the way you want it, possibly because you pivoted your business. And that's just a learning experience. There's really no way around it. That's a really, really important point, though, because your services, not only do you have to be able to pitch them and articulate them in the right way so the customer understands what they're buying into, but you as a business owner need to be savvy enough to know to ask the questions to establish if it's the right service for them, because you are literally just going to be making it harder for yourself you're going to be making it harder for them if you if you're giving them something that they don't need or isn't quite right for them and it doesn't mean that you can't work together but it's just making sure that you have that integrity and that kind of self-awareness as well because there's a huge amount of like pressure when you're starting out to go like we've both said it's like I will just take the job it's fine I want to work with clients I don't mind but if um, if that client then comes to me and they're like, well, you know, I'm going to have to reinvest in this again in six months time or even worse, if you see them going, oh, hey, does anyone does anyone recommend a designer, a copywriter or whatever else like a year later? And you're like, oh, God, it's because I didn't give them the service that they needed. I gave them what they thought they needed. And I think that that's really the distinction between being I don't know, I, I guess it's like a growth phase, isn't it? And as a designer, this is something that I always used to have to do in the corporate world, whereas like someone would come up and they'd be like, hey, I want a poster for this campaign. And you're like, do you need a poster or is this going for email use or is this like, what is the purpose of this? What are you wanting to get out of it? Because what you're asking for might not be what you need. And that's just awareness. They might not know what their options are. And you as a business owner can educate them with the services that you provide. Yeah, I would say the number one thing that I see, which is very specific to web design, but I do a lot of website redesigns. And I've had several people reach out. They want it redesigned, but they're on a platform that I don't work within. It's not necessarily a bad platform. It's just one that I personally don't feel is the best fit for projects at the level of customization that I do also keeping in mind that the client is going to be maintaining it usually most of the time. So being able to talk to them in a way and be very clear on, hey, I would love to work with you, but here's why we're not a good match. And here's why I think this would be a better match. There's definitely people who've reached out and they're on maybe Squarespace and the features they're wanting, you can't do without custom coding on Squarespace. It's going to be very difficult for them to maintain on their own. And I will talk, I, I will chat them through the different options available to them. But if somebody comes to me and they maybe have a Squarespace website, they really just need some like new colors and fonts, to be totally honest. They don't really need a website redesign based on what they're talking about. I'll let them know and just say, hey, like I'm not the best fit for this project, but here's some people who work within Squarespace that are amazing you'll be in great hands. They have the level of service you're looking for. So being able to say no, but also do so in a way that still makes the client feel taken care of. So you're not burning a bridge. Super important. Um, I feel pretty thankful for the most part. I've, I've been good on that since I started my business and even before that. Uh, but it is difficult to say no, especially if it's a client that you would love to work with, uh, but it's just not a good match for you at the time. Yeah. I think one of the things that I learned 
and it wasn't that early I would say um but I would say kind of like halfway through my business journey so far so like two years in two years from now was that my whole approach with selling when I was early in my business was almost like oh I'm I'm trying to pitch for these projects for people to choose me. But when I realized that actually what selling is, is just talking about the solution you offer to the problem they they have, switched it all up. Because once you realize that you're not trying to pitch yourself, you're not trying to convince them, you're not trying to take their money, you're not trying to make them work with you. You're just simply saying, hey, you say you have this issue and you want to achieve this. I, I do that by doing this. This is my solution. And if they're like, you know what? No, that's not right for me. It's like, oh, okay, well, here are some other solutions that are with me that may be the right ones for you, exactly like you were saying. At the end of the day, every sales call is just literally trying to find the right solution for the client, whether that's you or not. And embracing that just kind of releases a whole bunch of that mindset where you're like, oh, I failed. I didn't get the client. It's like, no, you've helped that person. And that's what we do as business owners. We go into business to have an impact and to help. Right. I try to approach call. I think once you get in that mindset and it really is a mindset. Type oh of- my goodness. It's a hard one too. <laughs> as soon as you go into a consultation call or a sales call and you're thinking, how can I provide the best solution for this client instead of thinking, how can I sell them on my services? How can I make money off of this person? It, it really pivots because you start asking the right questions. And what I've found to be helpful for myself is, as cliche as it sounds, is really putting myself in their shoes and thinking, okay, if this was my business, what would I need in order to be successful? And I do think that you need to ask about budget as well, because there's also been projects where sometimes somebody will have a really tiny budget, but the goals they're trying to achieve just cannot be met within that budget. And you do have to be honest with them. Maybe it can with another service provider, but it may not be you. So if somebody comes to me and maybe we'll just use this number as as an example, they have $500, they want a brand new website, they need some email marketing, they need a new brand. Realistically speaking, they just don't have the money quite yet to invest in that to work with you. And I think it is fair to let clients know, hey, like here's scope wise, we can make this smaller to fit your budget, but you're not going to get the outcome you're wanting to achieve. And so that was something I had to learn as well as not to discount my services just to work with the client. Nobody ends up happy. It's It basically ends up being they're still wanting the exact same thing but they're just getting it for less money. Nobody's happy. You're not being paid fairly. They're really not getting what they're looking for. Um, So discounting services is something that I I think I used as a selling point in the beginning. And now it's just a huge red flag for me. Like if somebody's booking multiple services, yeah, like I'm going to knock some money off. They're really investing and that's awesome. But there's benefits to both sides. But yeah, saying no to clients, educating clients, and also making sure they're getting the solution they need, even if it's not you. It's tough to learn, but it takes some experience. Yeah, absolutely. I think those are, it's just such a great point, isn't it? It's just, what is it, what is going to be the right solution for them? And also another question that I find really helpful that has helped me in recent years is the solution that I'm suggesting, what is that going to look like for the client in six months, like six months time, like six months after we've worked together, which reflects exactly what you were saying is like, if they're wanting custom coding, and they want things that they are not going to be able to do themselves, in six months time, that service is not going to be the right solution for them, although it fits their, their problem now. So yeah, I think there's a certain amount of just, again, it's that it's having that 
that ethical standpoint, having the integrity and having the confidence to turn around and go, you know what, my solution isn't the right one for you at the moment. Try this. And you'd be surprised at how many people will still recommend you because you've helped them. Yes, very true. Mm -hmm. They'll still turn around and go, hey, yeah, go and work with Georgia because like she couldn't help me, but she was wonderful about it. Like, go building up your referral network though can I just say please focus on that early on because there have been so many referrals I need it and I just didn't have them and I'm like I wish I had grown a little bit of a bigger community of small business owners or people in general who I could have recommended because there were so many projects I could have sent them to help them Um, so don't be afraid to refer out either because I've had Uh, brand designers, even other web designers send stuff to me and they're like, it wasn't a good fit. I think it would be perfect to you and vice versa. So having a community of people, definitely that idea of community over competition, not every designer is going after the same clients you are. And even if they are, there's still room for you both and you can still be friends and chat and all that good stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely agree. I know I've said it on this podcast before. One, start a podcast is the best way to grow your referral network. I've met so many people in so many different industries. It's been wonderful. But also I have this habit that every time I meet a new designer, I'm like, friend. (laughs) So true though. Like... And it's worthwhile because everything from talking about what you're going through with your business, sharing your ideas, if you feel comfortable to talking about the way, asking them questions like, how do you onboard your client? What do you do if this happens? What have you done with this? Should I have this in my contract? Like ask each other questions and it just helps you grow. And also remember you're in the same industry, like you're you're both representing the same industry and that's cool. (laughs) I think talking about money too within the industry with your peers, very important because I had absolutely no idea how underpriced I was until I started chatting with other designers and and just hearing their experiences. Same thing with contract clauses. A lot of those original contract clauses never would have put in there. I wouldn't have known without talking to people who have been doing this for a while longer than I had. So just having those resources while also being respectful. I I will say there's a couple of times where maybe somebody will reach out with a question that is just so specific to your process and knowing when to say, Hey, like this is actually something that it's kind of unique to me, like knowing when to maybe pay your friends for their time and expertise as well, because there's definitely been times where I've been like, Hey, can I actually like book a consulting call with you? I've got lots of questions that are kind of borderline annoying (laughs) for lack of a better term. (laughs) The pick my, pick my brain. I think that that's the terminology I hear people use a lot. Can I pick your brain? Oh my goodness. Picking your brain. It's like, yeah, of course you can buy a power hour with me for X amount. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's tricky because I've also seen some designers who are brand new uh, in some groups, for instance, and they've shared screenshots where they reached out to somebody and they immediately sent them like an invoice. And it was like, that's, Oh no, that's a little bit too, but no, at the same time, um, it's just a gray area is knowing like, am I asking a little bit too much or is this really like a peer in an industry resource I can lean on and I'm providing value back just as much as they're giving value to me. You never want to be that person that's sitting there asking 20 questions and never giving anything in return. But then one of the questions that you ask would be, hey, is it okay for me to ask you these kind of questions or do you offer kind of power hours? Is this overstepping a line? Like if you're unsure, just ask. And like people are human and they'll respond. 
they will respond to you. And if you have enough people like messaging you to pick your brains, maybe that's a service that you do need to offer. Maybe that's something that you need to work out as a process so that you don't feel awkward by going, I'm sorry, but no, I have a boundary here. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I saw somebody who made a blog post for her most frequently asked questions. I thought it was the most clever thing and she used like affiliate links. So it was just really clever the way she did it. So amazing. So the only other things that I've got here is like how we talk about our services on different platforms, which I think is kind of, it is important to touch on because I feel like there are different attitudes on different platforms, but at the same time, It's always coming back to how do you feel comfortable about talking about your services? Are you focusing on the customer and knowing what that customer is expecting on that platform, I guess? Like Instagram, you're going to expect maybe more examples, visual examples of what that service looks like as an end product, particularly from a design point of view. Whereas maybe with LinkedIn, you'd have articles and testimonials or something like that. Or like you were saying with blog posts as well, that's another way that you can talk about your services without it being, hey, buy from me. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think education is so important. Just being educational, not everything has to be a sales pitch. There's always a time and place like... (laughs) to be like, hey, book yours today or like spots are limited type of deal. But I've found that educational content works really well for my designer days. It's very visual. I think as designers, we're a little lucky. Like we really have a lot of work we can show for the process and behind the scenes. But when I actually have a designer day happening, I will post about it all day on Instagram. And that's really how they sell is people seeing the start to finish product and also some of the onboarding and the prep work that goes into it. That's been huge for my designer days because people are actively watching it. It gets reshared by the client. So then their audience is watching it. Their audience is reaching out to them in the DMs and asking about it. That same process wouldn't work on LinkedIn. It wouldn't work on Facebook, really. It it wouldn't work on Pinterest. So knowing the audience you're speaking to, like you said, is super important. Um, For something like LinkedIn, honestly, I haven't really used it for my business, but I've heard great things from other people. I used to use it very heavily when I was in corporate America and applying for other jobs on the DL. (laughs) Um, But from from marketing my business, I haven't quite uh, dove into it yet and that's something that's interesting as well is knowing that you don't have to be on every single platform yeah. uh, because it's better to have maybe a platform that looks good versus a dead platform, which is something I've struggled with a little bit. Um, I recently just got on TikTok as well. <laughs> I feel like everyone this year has at least tried TikTok and I've had some success with that, but it's very different content than I would share anywhere else. Uh, it's a lot of narration or your voice or you're speaking to the camera, which isn't something I necessarily love doing. So figuring out things that work while also being aware of your own comforts and limitations. If I'm booked out for a while, I'm probably not going to be hard selling on TikTok and Instagram. I'm probably just going to be more posting educational content and like growing my brand awareness versus actively trying to pitch. So knowing your goals on every social media platform too, because it may not always be a sale. It may just be growing your brand or trying to get press or trying to connect with someone else. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the first things that I always recommend doing when new social media platforms, trends, um, features, whatever else comes out is take a moment because we all get excited. Take a moment and sit down <laughs> and just say, right, what would, what is the purpose of this? Why do I want to be on there for starters? Because if it's just, oh, it's the cool new thing. It's like, okay, well, what does that mean for your business? Is it that you can jump on board now because it means that you're going to be part of that early reach because platforms like to promote the new things, which is great. 
So is your goal reach? If your goal is sales, it might not be the best thing to do. You might be better off just continuing with that consistency on your other platforms. And it's interesting what you said, because like I use LinkedIn now fairly regularly. Um, but I also use Instagram and I love the conflict between the two, like the complete difference. Like Instagram, I can go on, I can post a photo of my cat, I can put up stories that are just like, hey, here's my cup of tea and my gluten-free dinosaur-shaped pasta, which was probably my most viewed story ever. Um, <laughs> whereas on, I have to go look at it, of course. <laughs> whereas on LinkedIn... I love LinkedIn now because I can have those conversations where I feel like I can step into sharing my opinion with no fluff. Like I don't have to pad this out. I don't have to find a photo for this. I can ask a question, give my opinion and invite a conversation. And I don't feel that I would comfortably do that on Instagram because Instagram's like hanging out with my friends. Whereas like it's meeting new people, it's networking, it's, it's hanging out with um, friends of friends. Whereas LinkedIn is much more like hanging out in the canteen or, you know, more of a formal kind of networking where it's like, well, here is my professional expert opinion whilst I'm building my authority over here. Thank you. It's fun to have the two because then I can go like, oh, I've had this random thought. Where do I want to put this? How do I want to word it? I think too, when you're looking at something on LinkedIn, for instance, I'm not going to sit there and write, ha ha ha, this is amazing. On Instagram, I straight up might. I might roll into somebody's DMs and just start a conversation. So you really do have to know your audience. And I think as designers too, we have to show more than just our work. People want to know who they're working with. So navigating that has been a little bit tricky for me because I am very introverted. I do not like talking to the camera. I like this, like it's one-on-one, but getting out there and you turn on that camera for Instagram to do a story and you know, hundreds of people are watching it. Maybe, maybe not. Um, it's like a little different. Um, so is getting over that mindset block as well. And for the longest time, I wouldn't post my work on Facebook either. Well, for the longest time, maybe two months after I started my business, because I just felt kind of awkward about it. And then I realized your friends and family can honestly be your biggest supporter. So I started sharing it. They share everything. If I post it on my business page, I know like my aunt, my uncle, my cousin, my like everybody is sharing that. And it's a good feeling, but it's very different from what you'll get on LinkedIn or what you'll get on Instagram or TikTok or or any of those platforms yeah absolutely I mean it's exactly like we were saying earlier like full circle I love it um when you're building your services you need to build the services that work for you and when you're choosing where you're talking about your services you need to choose what works for you like I started a podcast because I hate video (laughs) I love to talk I don't like being interrupted I like to just have these long form conversations so having these on a one-to-one basis in a podcast this feels really this feels really good for me this is really chilled this means that I can bring my best and meet incredible people like yourself and have these conversations whereas if I was doing this live on Facebook or doing this as like a webinar or something like that like it doesn't excite me as much so I'm not going to be bringing my best people kind of feel the need to be everywhere and you really don't have to be everywhere you should be somewhere like yeah you should be yeah, hanging somewhere out somewhere would be good <laughs> yeah and you know measuring those analytics but 
I would say you can test out platforms and if it's not a good fit, it's not a good fit. Like I've, I've tried out services in my business, different things that I realized later. Yeah. On the surface, this looks really good. Maybe I did a good job, but it's not a good match for me. And that's okay. Just because every other maybe designer is doing this doesn't mean you have to, uh, cause you're not them. <laughs> you are you, and that is your power, <laughs> but really it is. It is true. And I think that like summing up this mammoth conversation where we've talked about so many different aspects of talking about services I think that it does just come down to that it's like what feels right for you what do you enjoy where do you excel and like what can you bring for your clients and then find a way to communicate that in a way that they that works for them because we create our services as our bit where it's like I really want to do this because this makes me feel good so how do you talk about that in a way that is attractive to the people that need to buy that just because you dream it up in your brain doesn't mean it's a good solution that I had a custom website package where every single thing was detailed never booked a project exactly like that because it was just too detailed and web design so custom I think the same thing with branding as well obviously there's certain elements that will always be the same like a brand guide the logo the submark all of that good stuff but being able to individually for each client, make sure it's a good match for them. Yeah, super important. We talked about literally everything, Tammy. <laughs> I think we did. We did well. We got the Pomeranians in right at the start. So I'm feeling good. Good job, team. <laughs> right. Okay, let's wrap this up. So from everything that we have discussed today, if the listeners were going to go away and do one thing with their services that would make it just easier to communicate, what would you recommend? Position yourself as a solution and think about the client, not you. Bosh, done. Love it. And ROI, think about ROI, super important, always gets forgotten, it seems like. Yeah, that's true. I think that would be another conversation. We're going to wrap this one up rather than going off on that tangent. So where can the listeners find more of you online then, Georgia? Yes. So like we just chatted about, I love me some Instagram. You can find me there at georgia.g.kaye. I love the way that rhymes. (laughs) And I am on TikTok as well under the same name. You'll see a lot more of my doggies there though. And then just at my website, which is georgiagk.com. Amazing. So thank you so, so much for joining me today, Georgia. This has just been awesome. Um, Yeah. I'm blown away by how much we managed to cover. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me. And listeners, be sure to check back here on Thursday when Georgia will be sharing her business journey so far in her brand story episode. All of the links will be in the show notes below so you can go and check out Georgia, her work, her Pomeranians, anything like that. And until then, I'd really love to know your thoughts on this episode and if it's inspired you to think about the way you talk about your services a little bit differently. So come on over and join the conversation in our community on Instagram or Facebook. And as always, the links are in the show notes and I will see you in the brand lounge.